I'm in the book of Acts. Would you join me there? Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Acts 9, verse 1. Uh, someone has described this as the book of the Acts of the Apostles. I would like to change that and say it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And, and there is no end to the book of Acts. We're all living the next chapter of the book of Acts, each one of us. And they had, they had uh, someone has described the book of Acts as baptisms and, and beatings. Baptisms and beatings. There's a lot of truth in that. If you read it, Christians got beat up for what they did. And then they got baptized and people got baptized and they got beat up and they got baptized. So if you've been beaten up this week or this morning or this year or the past decade, uh, you're in good company with the people in the book of Acts. Because when you stand for something, when you stand for something, when you stand for something, somebody's going to try to make you fall. When you stand for anything, there's somebody that wants to knock you down. So stand for something. And when you get knocked down, just get right back up. Just get right back up. Because this is not home, folks. We're not home. Home is heaven. We're just passing through. We're pilgrims on a journey. We're soldiers in a battle. Whatever metaphor you want to use, uh, this, life is, this life is not all there is. It's, it's an 80-year mission assignment, right? God sends us, and we get 80 years if we're, if we're good and if we're lucky or whatever. And it's just a mission assignment to tell people about Jesus. And then we live all of eternity with him. But that's not the message this morning, but that's a good message. Thank you, Jesus. Saul, uh, who became Paul, uh, was converted. Now, you know that uh, Saul... Paul, we call him Paul, so we'll use the word Paul, but he was given the name Saul, named after King Saul. Uh, he was born about uh, 1 A.D. Jesus was born about 3 B.C. You know, there's a problem with the calendar there. That's why it's kind of a little squirrely. But Jesus was born about 3 B.C. Paul was born about 1 A.D. So there's three or four years difference in their age-ish. And uh, so he was... When Jesus rose again, uh, died and rose again, Paul would have been, we don't really know exactly the date, but 27, 28, 29. He would have been under the age of 30. And back in the day, before you could become a rabbi, you had to turn 30 years of age. And once you became a rabbi, then you could go teach, train, lead. You could have a group of people following you. That's why Jesus didn't start his ministry until he was 30. It's because in their culture, you had to become 30 to be a rabbi when Paul became 30 he was a rabbi of rabbi he was a Pharisee of Pharisees raised by Pharisees raised under Gamaliel he was the ultimate the ultimate book knowledge of the 613 laws that were in the in the Old Testament I mean the guy knew his stuff probably had multiple books of the Old Testament memorized you'd have to have you'd have to have the first five memorized to become a rabbi he probably had others memorized on top of that so he was committed to the Jewish way. And as a result of that, when these folks started following Jesus in 30 AD, when Jesus died and rose again, when they started following him, and shortly after that, he became a rabbi or became 30, able to, uh, to run the show, if you will. Uh, 
He started looking at these Christians as rabble-rousers, causing problems. They must be eradicated. They, they must be brought to justice. They must be brought to the, to the court, to the Sanhedrin, whoever it was, and be condemned to death. And so we find earlier in Acts chapter 7 where a young man named Stephen, who had given his life to Christ and followed him wholeheartedly, witnessing, uh, he was one of those troublemakers. And Paul, in chapter 7, was standing there sanctioning, overseeing, and approving of Stephen's stoning to death. Have you ever seen somebody stoned to death? Would you want to see that? I wouldn't either. But can you imagine how long it would take and how brutal it would be to be down in a pit and people standing around the top of the, of the pit throwing rocks at you until you died? Beatings, baptisms. Beatings, baptisms. Stephen had stood for something, and they beat him down, threw him in a pit, and dashed in pieces with the rocks. And the Bible says, and they laid their coats at Paul's feet. In other words, he was in charge. He had turned 30, and by golly gee willikers, he was going to do something and prove himself. And the first thing he did was have Stephen killed. So that made Paul a murderer in the first degree. Second degree, third degree, pick a degree. He was a murderer. He was a Pharisee. He was a Jewish man, but he was a murderer. He had murder in his heart. As a matter of fact, we read the rest of his story in Acts chapter 22. He went and got letters from key people, Jewish people, whoever's in charge, to say, I have heard so-and-so's preaching about this Jesus guy. I need a letter giving me approval to go catch him, bring him in, put him in prison, or kill them. Premeditated murder. Not just murder, premeditated murder. He thought about it. So here we have this vile, evil man, this murderer, thinking he's doing right, but he's a murderer. And he had been fighting this battle for several years. And so Paul's conversion took place in 37 AD. So he would have been about 36 years old. So for seven years, the church was born in 30 AD when Jesus rose again. For seven years, the church was growing and building and growing. And for seven years, approximately, Paul was chasing after Christians and having them killed. And one day he's on the road to Damascus, perhaps to go chase somebody else down and kill them. Meanwhile, Paul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciple. For seven years, can you imagine hating somebody for seven years enough to want to kill them? Can you imagine the hate, the bitterness, the anger that must be in someone's soul to chase and murder people for seven years? That he didn't even know. Yeah. Chasing them because they believed in a man, according to him, who did nothing but good. Who went around doing good. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's what they called Christians back in the day, the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. He wasn't just after the men. He wanted the women too. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
We, those of us in this room, are the body of Christ. Paul was persecuting the body of Christ. When one of us gets persecuted, we're all persecuted. You understand that, right? When one of us rejoices, the Bible says we should all rejoice. When one of us suffers, we all suffer, the Bible says. We're in this thing together, whether we want to be or not. You're in it with me, and I'm in it with you. I've got some crazy folks in my family tree, right? You're in there with me. Come on now. Have you got, anybody got a crazy folk in their family tree? All right. Well, that's just about everybody. Emily's pointing at her mother. So... <laughs> We'll have prayer for that later on. <laughs> Teenagers, what can you say, right? Hey, we're all in this together. We're the body of Christ. Paul was persecuting the body of Christ. He was persecuting. Jesus says, hey, why are you picking on my body? Why, why are you picking on my body? Why are you doing this? And Paul smartly says, who are you, Lord? He realizes somebody's talking to him in a vision or in a dream or out loud and, and there's nobody staying around that he must be the Lord or something. He said, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Now the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand to Damascus. And for three days he was blind. He had no vision. He had no physical vision. And did not eat or drink anything. Now in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision. So we have a man with no vision. And now we have a man who's getting a vision. Right? Spiritual vision. Ananias, the Lord said... Yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named, uh, from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And in a vision, so here's a man with no vision, who's seeing a vision, Paul, who's going to be approached by a man who had a vision. You see where we're going with this? He has seen a man named Ananias uh, come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man <laughs> and all the harm he's done to the saints. Are you sure you've got the right person for this assignment? I think Melinda would be better for it. Pick him. Ananias looked like Barney Fife, just so you know. He didn't look like Melinda. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said, Ananias, go. Go. The man is, chosen, is a chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house, here's obedience, went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all who heard him were astonished and said, Isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among all those who call on the name? And hasn't he come here to take them prisoners to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. We've been talking about sharing our testimony. <clears throat> and I want to continue that conversation this morning. I want to... I want to read you something right off the headlines. This came in my inbox this week. It's uh, from a website called the Christian Post. Maybe you read the Christian Post. Anybody read the Christian Post? It's a, kind of a daily thing about what's going on in Christianity around the world. The headline, the headline reads, Iran has world's fastest growing church despite no buildings and it's mostly led by women. Iran has the world's fastest growing church despite no buildings and it's mostly led by women. Here's the story. I'm going to read it to you. A new film tells a story of the fastest growing church in the world, an underground persecuted Christian movement in a country known for exporting radical Islamic terrorism. People in Iran, a Muslim majority nation, are fleeing Islam in droves as believers bow their knee to Jesus and become aggressively pro-Israel. What if I told you Islam is dead? One identified Iranian church leader says. What if I told you the mosques are empty inside Iran? What if I told you no one follows Islam inside Iran? Would you believe me? This is exactly what's happening. God is moving powerfully inside our country. The pastor adds, what if I told you the best evangelist for Jesus was the Ayatollah Khomeini? The Ayatollahs brought the true face of Islam to light. And people discovered that it was a lie. After 40 years under Islamic law, a utopia according to them, they had seen the worst devastation in the 5,000-year history of Iran. Thomas calls the movement the Iranian, Iranian awakening. It owns no properties, no buildings, has no central leadership, and is predominantly led by women. Named after the Bible, this movie, named after the Bible, says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Doves. The documentary claims Muslim background Iranians are leading a quiet but mass exodus out of Islam and bowing their knees to Jesus with kindle affection toward Jewish people. But the believers in the Islamic Republic face great risk. We know that if they get us, the first thing they will do as women is us, and they will beat us, and ultimately they will kill us. This is the decision we've made that we want to offer our bodies as sacrifices. Now I left out a key word in there because we've got kids in here. You understand what I'm saying? They want to offer their bodies as sacrifice to Jesus. Because I had this thought when I wake up that when I leave that door, I might not come back. A leader of the Iranian underground church explains their goal is not planting churches, but rather making disciples, that that's powerful. The majority of whom are women. Disciples, listen to this, this is going to cut. 
disciples forsake the world and cling to Jesus till he comes, church members don't. Disciples aren't engaged in culture war. Church members are. You know, we've had culture wars in churches. Uh, worship wars, they called them. What kind of music we're going to sing in church. And we're going to have piano or drums in the pulpit. Or, you know, what color the carpet's going to be. And what president we're going to vote for. Right? Say again. Who's allowed to worship. We've had these culture wars. He says, these disciples aren't consumed with that in Iran. Disciples cherish, obey. You ready? Disciples cherish, obey, and share the word of God. Church members don't. Disciples choose Jesus over anything and everything else. Church members don't. Church members run when the fire comes, but disciples don't. As a pastor explains, everything they do is built on prayer. We find people of, people of peace through prayer. We even find locations of where people are through prayer, he says. He says, Jesus has come in their dreams, their visions. Jesus has come in their dreams, their visions. He, come, he has come miraculously in their lives. When we hear this, we know that Jesus has gone ahead of us. When we hear this, we know that Jesus has gone ahead of us. So that's what I want to talk about this morning, about sharing your testimony. Just a couple of quick points. The first point is, before you share your testimony with somebody, Jesus has already shared his testimony about who he is with them. Before you share your testimony with anybody on this planet, Jesus has already given a testimony of who he is to them. You know, we're afraid to share our testimony because we're afraid we're going to mess it up. I don't know what to say. I don't know the right words. I don't know the right scripture. I might stumble over it. That's irrelevant. Jesus has already shared his testimony with the person you're going to talk to. In this story, we find Ananias called out to go share his testimony about Jesus with a man who killed Christians. Jesus had already gone ahead and softened him up. Now, I shared this illustration last week. I'm going to share it again this morning because it really fits here. Several years ago, I was at Buffalo Wild Wings eating lunch with a pastor. And the server came over and sat down at the table, which is unusual. She had her little pad that to write on. She sat down. She said, what's it going to be, gentlemen? And so we placed our order. And after we placed our order... I looked at her, called her by her name, and I said, Sarah, that's not her name, I said, Sarah, my friend and I are going to pray over our food in just a minute, give thanks for it. Is there anything in the world we can pray for you about? She had her pan in her head. She slammed that pad back down on the table. She says, what is it about this table? Everybody that sits at this table wants, me, wants to tell me about Jesus, right? And I said, well, what do you know about Jesus? She said, well, he had long, pretty hair, right? He went around doing good. Some people called him and beat him up, and they killed him. I don't know why they beat him up and killed him. And I said, would you like me to tell you why they beat him up and killed him? She said, I wish somebody would. And so I did. I shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with her. And she said, nobody's ever explained that to me before. Now, apparently there were countless other people that sat at that table 
and may have said something like, hey, can we pray for you? Or, uh, you know, do you go to church anywhere? They, they said things to her, right? I had the privilege of sharing the gospel with her. Somebody else had already gone ahead and softened her up for the gospel. Countless, I don't know how many people, men or women, I don't know. But other people had said Jesus, 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 Jesus to her in some way to where when I sat down and said it, she was ready to hear the gospel. And I had the privilege of sharing the gospel with her. There are times, there are people you're going to run into when it's not your job to share the gospel at that moment. It's your job to soften them up in the name of Jesus with a cup of cold water maybe. With taking them to get something to eat because they're hungry or taking them to get some clothes because they don't have anything to wear. There are things that we do to soften people up to hear the gospel because some people are hard paths and if that seed falls on there, the devil's just going to come take it away. And those paths need to be broken up. Some people have had it hard in this life. Some people have never heard of Jesus like this woman in the buckle of the Bible belt. Didn't even know a story about Jesus. She'd been to several churches. She said that she went to one where they knelt down and stood up and knelt down and stood up. She said, I was so exhausted. But they never told me about Jesus in that church. But something about that church softened her up to the gospel. It plowed that hard path up for her. Never discount, never, ever discount the good that you do for people in the name of Jesus. Never discount that. You may walk away from a hundred people that you've ministered to in some way and not a one of them says yes to Jesus. Never discount that. It's not up to you to harvest it's not up to you to harvest. The Holy Spirit's the harvester. He's the one that brings in the harvest. We just plant seeds. Always carry seeds with you. One of my dear friends and, that I got to work with in a church setting, Carl Cartier, wrote a song, Pocket Full of Seeds. He says, we have a pocket full of seeds, but there's a famine in the land. A pocket full of seeds, but there's a famine in the land. We need to take those seeds out and plant them. So never, ever discount. Jesus has already gone before you to share the gospel, as he did in this story. Why do I say that? Second Peter 3.9 says that God is not willing that any should perish. He's not willing that the 7 billion people alive today should perish. He's just not. And so he's going to do whatever it takes to get the gospel to them. He would like to use you if you'll be obedient and open and allow him to. He would like to use you. He's not going to force you. You know, as I said last week, if Christians aren't telling people about Jesus, nobody else is, right? So Jesus really would like to use us because he's not willing that any should perish. Ezekiel 18, 23 says, Do I take pleasure in the death of the wicked? Does God get excited when a wicked person dies? Does he jump up and down and have a party in heaven because a wicked person dies? It's not what the scripture says. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Psalm 19.1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. You see, Jesus is always softening people up for the gospel before you ever get there. So 
don't be afraid to share your testimony. Don't be afraid to open your mouth and let the Holy Spirit fill it with words, because he will. He likes doing that. Secondly, the first thing is Jesus has already shared his testimony with everyone, everywhere, and continues to do so. The second point is the Holy Spirit has already convicted the lost person of sin. In John chapter 16, verse 8, it says he will convict the world of sin. That means he will expose the sin in people's lives. Now, does that just mean a few people he exposes their sin? No, it means everybody. You know, when people get their sin exposed, they do one of two things. They repent. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Or they internalize that and they become more bitter and more angry and more vengeful. They want to take it out on people. You know, a lot of times when somebody starts whacking on you, beating you up it's really they really want to beat themselves up because of what they feel on the inside makes them hate themselves and a person who hates themselves is in trouble they need Jesus they hate themselves because of the sin the Holy Spirit's convicted in the sin they don't know what to do with it what do I do with this sin what do I do it's actually the guilt of the sin it's not actually the sin itself it's the guilt of the sin what do I do with the guilt of this sin that I'm carrying in my life because the Holy Spirit has said that's wrong that's wrong don't do that don't do that I feel guilty for it instead of presenting it to Jesus and saying Jesus here's my sin he says I wipe your guilt away they internalize it and take it out on somebody else A lot of times the people's problems they cast on you make it your problem. It's not your problem. It's their problem. They just don't know what else to do with it. Or they choose not to do something with it. Psalm 139 verse 7 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I hide from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I go to the depths of the earth, you're there. If I ride on the wings of the dawn, you're there. If I go to the far side of the sea, you're there. And if I go into the darkness, you're there. Yes. Here's Paul. Seven years, he's beating up Christians and killing them. Seven years. He'd run as far away from God as he could. In his murderous rage. And the Holy Spirit still found him. The Holy Spirit still found him. You're now not going to encounter many people like Paul in our daily walk. We're just not going to. We're we're not there. We don't hang out with thieves and murderers most likely. So the people you run into are not going to be as far gone as Paul was. Does that make sense? They're not going to be in a murderous rage. They're going to be a lot less than that. The Holy Spirit softening them up, getting them ready for the gospel. But if you find somebody that's gone to the darkness and they think they've run away from God, you need to let them know that he still loves them, that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If you run at that person, who's been in a murderous rage for seven years, you still need to tell them about Jesus Christ. And the third thing, third thing, third thing, thing, the Father always wants all of his children to live with him. Our Heavenly Father always wants all of his children to live with him. When I sit around with... uh, 
the grandkids sometimes, they'll ask me, say, uh, Papa, what are you going to do when you retire? You know, where are you going to live? What are you going to do? Because they want to know. I said, well, I'd like to live on a lake, right? Either my own lake, you know, small pond or, or lake. I'd like to live on a lake so I could go fishing when I want to. And, uh, and so we start talking about what that would look like. And I said, what I would do is I would buy 20 acres and I would build a 10-acre lake in the middle of it. And I would put my house right there. And Ellie Grace said, Papa, I would put mine right here. And she would draw a square right beside mine. Because this is where I want to live, right beside you. And Elijah would say, I'm going to put mine right here. This is where I want to live. And we start describing what it would look like. We'll have a giant water slide that goes from my house to their house, you know. And, you know, all those things. And, and of course, a gator, you know, to ride around on. My grandchildren want to live close to me. I want them to live close to me as well. Think about a heavenly father who loves so much more than I could ever love anybody. He wants all of us to live close to him. He says, he says Jim, we're going to have uh, heaven. It's going to be right here. and Your house is going to be here. My house is going to be here. We're, you're going to be here. We're going to get together and have waffles and, you know, and tell God stories. Right? Do you believe that? I do. I believe that God wants all these people out here driving down the street to live with him for all eternity. I really do. That's why I go out there and tell people about Jesus. Because I think that's what daddy would want. He had long, pretty hair. He went around doing good. They beat him up and killed him. I don't know why they killed him. But we do. So let's tell people why Jesus died for them and why he rose again for them. Don't back off. Don't back away. Jesus has already shared his testimony with them before you ever get there. And he'll give you the word. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to say when you do start talking to him. I promise you, he will. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Father, I just want to thank you for this amazing discipleship movement that's taking place in a, in a country that, quite frankly, I never thought would ever talk about Jesus. But here they are talking about Jesus in Iran. I, I just thank you for that. Father, I pray that not only the women would be disciples, but that men would rise up, that men would rise up in this country and choose Jesus. Father, give them the boldness to do so. And Father, I pray that in this country, this country, America, where we have freedom of worship, freedom of, to worship any way we want to, that we would not be intimidated by sharing our testimony. Father, we overcome this world by, the, by your shed blood and by our testimony. That's what it says in the Bible. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. So, Father, make us brave. Make us bold. Give us words to say to our neighbors, our friends, the people we work with, the people we run into in the stores. Help us just to say the name Jesus, 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 Jesus. There is no other name 
given under heaven whereby men must be saved in the name of Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.